Welcome to the Best Teacher Podcast. I am your host, Grant Wooten. I've been an English language and literature teacher for 10 years and counting. In my experience, the best resource we have as teachers is by far each other. And in that spirit, the Best Teacher Podcast interviews everyday teachers from around the globe doing amazing, innovative things in their classrooms. In every episode, you'll meet incredible educators, hear their best stories, gain practical wisdom and useful resources you'll love, and strategies that can transform your students learning experience. I hope you enjoy the show. Today on the show, I speak with Jen Van Bell, an international teacher extraordinaire who has taught in a number of cross-cultural contexts around the world. We get to hear about her awesome journey in international classrooms, glean ideas from her well-organized learning station approach, and get one of the best tips for achieving good work-life balance as a teacher that I have ever heard. You're going to love it. Here is episode eight with Jen Van Bell. Hi, Jen. Thanks for coming on. Hi. Uh, you go by Jen, right? Is it Jen or Jennifer? What do you prefer? Okay. Jen. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, so glad to have you today on the Best Teacher Podcast. Um, just heard a little bit about your background, and I'm going to make you say it all again now that we're recording. Um, so I'll jump right in and ask, uh, how did you get into teaching? Um, how long have you been teaching? What's a little bit of the background of experiences that you've had so far? And why are you still doing it? Mm, all really good questions. Um, I got into teaching actually because I've always wanted to teach internationally. Um, mm. I've all I learned what the world was when I was like seven. My cousin moved abroad and to Cameroon, and I was like, "Wait, there's other countries. There's people that don't speak English." And so it was very surprising to me. And so, as a little seven-year-old, it was kind of my became my dream. So I you know, pursued that along the way and then um, graduated in 2009 with a master's degree in education and certified in elementary education. And so I tried to get a job in the States and it was 2009 in the middle of the, the recession. So that wasn't a possibility. So, um, but luckily enough was able to get a job um, teaching overseas, which is what I wanted to do anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, so I first started teaching um, in Abu Dhabi um, for the Abu Dhabi Education Council in the public schools there and taught um, kindergarten to little Arabic students who didn't speak much English and it was super fun. Um, and from there I went to Beijing and I learned um, or I was teaching at a bilingual school there. Um, so I learned a little bit of Mandarin and um, I, I was teaching first grade and for both of my years there. And then I moved to Qatar and taught in Doha, Qatar for four years at a IB PYP school, mostly um, local Qataris. And it was the, for the Qatar Academy, which is a nonprofit um, organization from Sheikh Moza has organized, the queen. Mm-hmm. And so we had kind of an international group, but mostly it was um, second language learners or ESL language learners um, and taught there for four years. And that's when I moved from first into third grade. Um, and then for after four years, I moved to Frankfurt to teach third grade at a PYP school in Frankfurt and taught third and then first. And then for two years, I was at a German bilingual school. Mm-hmm. And and I was the student well-being coordinator. So I was specifically overseeing the social, emotional, and behavior support of the students um, and developing the behavior p- 
policies and procedures as well as the ESL curriculum. This is my first year teaching in the U.S. ever, and I'm in the Silicon Valley International School as a okay. third grade teacher. So I'm teaching English. Our school is super interesting because it's multilingual. Mm -hmm. The students do 70% of their day in the target language. So we have three languages they can learn, either French, German, or Mandarin. Wow. And then I teach them for the 30%. So I've got two different classes okay. and yeah. teach English. Yeah. So it's super fun. Um, but I'm learning a lot, as I do every year. <laughs> no kidding. Well, yeah. you've, you've had such a storied career that, that it doesn't feel like you'd ever get a chance to settle um, <laughs> and like feel like, yeah, I've got the hang of this now. But maybe, um, well, I don't know. I, I've heard from a lot of teachers that things can get that, that way. But I remember uh, in our just our second interview talking with Stephen, um, yeah. he was like, you know, after about uh, 12 years, uh, sameness started to settle in. And I was like, you got 12 years runway before <laughs> there was any sameness? Like he said, it, like it was really normal. Um, and I can imagine that for you, uh, it, it has never happened. But but there are so many benefits to that, right? To keeping yeah. things fresh and, and having more to learn. There are stresses, but there are definitely benefits I can imagine. Um, for sure. Is there a well, reason why you would move, you know, every few years? Is it because you wanted to travel more? Is it because you got better job offers? Um, job process there. I mean, internationally, you don't really get job offers like that. Yeah. Um, you have to quit before you have a job um, because you normally resign in December before Christmas and then the yeah. jobs are offered in January, February. So it's always a little bit <laughs> nerve wracking. I was always one of those students who wanted to be challenged. And school, like the typical school for the 90s kids, right, was very easy for me. Um, wrote memorization. I have really good short-term memory. So it was like, I need a challenge. I need something else, um, which is why I loved learning languages. So I studied French um, in high school from like, well, you know, as soon as I could. I think it's similar in my career is that I love the challenge. Um, and so if it starts to feel a little bit too much of the sameness, tend to say, okay, let's see what else I can find. Um, but each place I've left for very different reasons. So I think it's just depends on the school and my fit to the school and yeah, and just kind of where I see like how I can grow and learn as a, as a teacher, as a student of life, you know, a lifelong learner, and then what benefits um, I'm, I'm kind of able to give to my students and to the, the area as well. So it's not as much connected to travel <laughs> as it could sound, but it's yeah. more about, yeah, more about the challenge of where I'm at. Well, I wouldn't hold the travel thing against you if that were your motivation, because I'm, I'm no, a traveler myself, <laughs> and and I know that that oftentimes is the motivation. But it's interesting to hear that that it's more about the challenge for you and keeping things fresh. Um, I think that speaks a lot to the the lifelong learner aspect that we often find in teachers that stay in the career for for any amount of time, right? Yeah. <laughs> you gotta like learning to to teach for for more than a yeah. couple of years. I think. Yes. Um, it's interesting. Normally, I would move beyond the, the background at this point, but then you've got such a, a storied history here. I want to dig a little bit more because I think it's it's unique, at least so far in the um, interviews that I've done. So what would you say after being at a bunch of different kind of various different schools? What would you say is is something that 
is universal, you know, that, that okay, this is true no matter where I go. Yeah. And what's something that you would say has been different um, at every place that you go? Mm. I just thought that might be interesting to see. Yeah. Um, one thing I say to anybody who, because I'll have people ask me like, oh, should I go out and teach abroad? And I'll say kids are kids all over the yeah. world. Kids love, especially because I've only done elementary, right? So elementary kids are, they love learning. They're curious. They ask tons of questions. They love people. Their kids are genuinely kind. Um, so there's always, like, you can always connect. Like the reason you get into teaching, right? You love kids, right? And you love seeing them learn. And I think that that is true no matter where you go. I also think it's true that teachers get into teaching because they love teaching. Mm. um because they love kids and I think I've seen that be proved true time and time again of course there's teachers you know especially in the international circuit that sometimes they're there because they're traveling and such but they don't tend to last long um and so you know it because it's a tough job (laughs) and but and so you stay in it because you love it Um, and so for the most part I found teachers are there because they love it. Students are there because they, or students are students, right? Kids are kids. And so things that are different. I mean, I think there's such different like nuances within cultures um, and the different priorities of education within cultures. I think having taught in the Middle East um, for wealthy Gulf states, their children do not need as much a job that's well-paid because they know they'll be taken care of by their government. Um, so most of the parent conversations I had there when I was having that conversation of this child, your child's struggling and we want to bump up this support, their response was more like, of course, but we just want them to be happy, right? Mm-hmm. So it's just, mm-hmm. uh, whereas the conversations I'd have in Beijing or even in Frankfurt were, oh yes, like how can we help this? You know, like it's about getting the, academics rigor behind it more than just making a child happy yeah Um, so I think there's nuances within the cultures I think that's that's very interesting because I haven't worked in a place where where parents haven't been overly concerned for for listeners that aren't familiar with me or my background at all I'm in Thailand I'm also an international teacher um, even though I have a U.S. passport, I've been here for 10 years. Yeah, the, the emphasis on academics and the yeah. anxiety that parents feel over yeah. any kind of, you know, less than an A um, yes. performance is, is a lot of pressure for teachers and students alike. Um, yeah. But I know that, that it's not always dissimilar in the United States. Have you felt, which, which side of the spectrum would you say the school that you work at now is on? Or if you're allowed to share, I know you're working. Yeah, <laughs> um, I think in general, like it's a private school in Silicon Valley. So it's more affluent families who right. they themselves are highly educated. And so there is that emphasis on that high academic focus. But I do think I mean, I'm very new. I've only been here for four months. So um, I'm still finding parents that are still like, but it's a, but she needs to be happy or happy, but, you know, so they're, they're trying to find the right balance too. And I think that that's something that even as a culture in the U.S., we're still learning, like, what is the definition of success and what do we want a successful student to be and come out? 
Well, I think that's that's really interesting because worldwide, but especially in the United States, my impression of the situation is that um, that is a really good reflection of where we are in general, right? We haven't decided, and in fact, it seems to be shifting even right now, uh, what are our priorities when it comes to education and what is the important thing? Yeah. Um, and and what is a good life, right? Yeah. We haven't we haven't really cornered the answer to that. We thought no, we had, for sure. And I think, you know, there we we always kind of harken back to simpler times in in culture and stories. But if you if you actually go back and read memoirs and biographies and they, of people from the generation before, or even two generations ago, yeah. um, you go, oh, they were they didn't really have it figured out either. <laughs> no, <laughs> and none of us really do. Yeah, it's true. I think it was interesting because I was the student well-being coordinator right as COVID hit. Yeah. Um, so I was really concerned about the social, emotional, and behavior aspect and less about the academics because um, I wasn't in the classroom at that time. Yeah. And it was very interesting to see kind of the shift of importance. So during when we were online or even doing hybrid or whatever version of teaching you did during COVID, um, there was a concern. There was that parents would email me or say, hey, can you meet with us? We want to make sure we're taking care of the social, like the emotional well-being of our child or things like that. And then once we were back to school fully, it was like, okay, where's the learning gap? How do we fix that? What's the academic? And it was interesting how that shifted so quickly to me. Yeah. Yeah, well, let's let's get back on track now that <laughs> now that there are no longer any threats to our child's mental health. Um, yeah. this the only this COVID was the only thing. Uh, being home with us was the worst thing for them. Being obviously, <laughs> and now now that they're back, let's let's get them back on the academic. Yeah, that's crazy. And then of course you see the headlines. Um, yeah. Very sad that that yeah. that teens and children. This is the one of the highest rates of mental illness and uh, mental health yeah. struggles that we've seen in, in ages. And I believe there was a New York Times piece about that just a, a couple of days ago. Yeah. Um, so lots of unanswered questions there for, for all of us. But I want to get into the, the meat of the show, uh, even though yes. this is so wonderful, we could probably just keep going for hours. Um, I feel like that with every teacher that I talk to. Yes. Turns out I really like talking to other teachers. Um, teachers do like to talk. <laughs> Which is why I have this show, probably. Yes, great. But let's uh, let's go ahead and, and and start mining for for the gold here. And yeah. I'd like to get your best teacher story or a couple of them because most people okay. like like to cheat. So what comes <laughs> to mind when you think of like a story that you just you just keep coming back to in your career that that either motivates you or um, I suppose could even demotivate. <laughs> <laughs> Or, or it gives you an example of what you don't like to see. Uh, but I think in most cases, teachers have a, have a more positive spin on the stories that they keep coming back to. So what is it that that a memory or something that's happened to you in your career that you go, if I had one story to tell, this is this is the one. So I think what I had was teaching first grade in Doha in Qatar. I don't even remember what we were doing, what unit we were teaching, <laughs> but we had been learning some like how do we identify emotions? How do we talk about emotions? So we watched the movie Inside Out in class. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. So from that, I asked them to create a personality island, just one that showed who you were to the world. 
it was such a cool project for these kids. So they're first grade, so six, seven years old. And I had this one boy who day of the project brings in like 15 Barbie dolls. And he had styled each Barbie's hair based on a classmate and what personality, like how he would give their haircut, what style, hairstyle he would give to each other. And it was the most amazing and most empowering thing for him. He wasn't, he loved playing football or soccer, whatever, whatever we call it. Um, (laughs) But he truly, truly was passionate about hair and haircutting and he would play with kids hair all the time. And um, this was something that I don't think he'd ever really been able to express or show. And I just saw that kid change from kind of, I mean, he was always curious and always excited, but for people to know who he was or something that he loved that much, what just saw him change into this like amazing, like bright, shining kid who was so much more confident about himself because the class, everybody had brought parts of themselves that they were trying to share. So everybody was a little bit nervous and a little bit, and how do we talk about it? How do we accept each other? And, but just watching them all like him specifically, but the whole class, you know, just bloom in once they know that they were accepted based on something they loved, just the confidence that that gave them. It's kind of why I started pursuing this route of um, well-being and positive education. But um, I think for me, that was a real turning point in my my perspective of a teacher. Um, just, you know, I've always loved teaching kids to read and watching them learn um, and that spark that you see when they finally get it. But this was something I didn't know that I could show kids is how amazing they were. Mm-hmm. Um, Mm-hmm. in that way like just so powerful so I think that would be that's the one that I keep coming back to as a you know with my focus on well-being and stuff but um well I, I think that's awesome and and when he came in obviously so I'm, I'm imagining that happened in an American context and all the unhealthy stereotypes of masculinity and things like that that, that we often have um and do you think that uh, it would have been received the same here? I'm, I'm imagining since it well, added to his confidence that, he, that his classmates were very receptive to what were. this was about. This wasn't that he liked to play with dolls. This was that yeah. he was passionate about hair and he used these as models for his. And so yeah. his, his classmates uh, obviously responded well. Otherwise, it wouldn't yeah. have been such an encouraging <laughs> thing for him. Yes. Um, I mean, I was. When he brought those in, I was a little bit nervous about that too, because yeah. it's in an Arab context with right. Arab students and um, Arab culture. I mean, I, were, I was living in Qatar where, right. you know, Sharia law is still law. Right. Um, and so masculinity and patriarchy is very mm-hmm. deeply rooted in that culture. Mm-hmm. I would say though, a respect of women, but in very different ways. Um, so I was a little bit nervous as well when I saw what he was bringing and it was incredible. And that's where, you know, teaching six-year-olds is amazing because they don't always have those preconceived ideas that we as adults do right. or yeah. they're not taught that yet. Yeah. Um, and so it was, it was pretty incredible to watch all of the kids. It was boys and girls that were like, that is so cool. And like, you should do my hair. And so then at recess, they had time to play and do their hair. Like 
it was very cool. And obviously the parents were supportive to some degree because somebody had to had to buy the dolls and then help <laughs> pack them and bring them. So that's really encouraging. Too, yes. You know? um, yeah. Now I can't, now I want to interview the kid and see, hey, I how know. did this get started? And and you know, what who are your parents and how do we give them an award? Um yeah, no, that's such a great story. And I, yeah. I think it it just says a lot about your approach as a teacher and the things that matter to you. Um it sounds it's I, I could be wrong here, but it sounds like you might be falling more on the happiness side of the scale than the academic. Uh, <laughs> is, is that a, a wrong assumption? Mm, I'm not sure. I think, yeah, I think I'm I'm much more on the happiness side. Yeah, yeah. I think I think academic challenge and rigor is important. Of course, yeah. But not uh, at well, the cost of your happiness. Exactly, not at the cost of a student's well-being. Um, yeah. And and ultimately, what is the aim? right yes. of of the academic rigor that we hold is because we want to give them the tools that they need to live a happy and fulfilled life of course yes. and yes. so i think oftentimes we get lost in the weeds um yes. in all the standards and forget wait a second mm -hmm. what, what what is the point exactly again yes. like what is yes. that we're actually trying to give uh these yes. children and, and and if we don't teach children then then our adult students but what what's the whole point of education and yes. it's to equip them to have a, a satisfied, but if we can't be working towards that end in the immediate yeah. environment. Um, Teaching them how to even access their own happiness. Exactly, yeah, yeah. right. And, and we forget, but we forget as well, right? Of course oh, we yeah. um, And Absolutely. I think that's why we're so prone to, to forget in our classrooms and overemphasize the wrong things is because we do the same thing in our own yeah. lives, right? We, we lose the point. <laughs> yeah. We, yeah. We, and and we go, well, we've got to accomplish this. We've got to accomplish that. We've got to get this done. We've got to get that done. And we wake up with these tasks on our mind and we go, you know, throughout a day or a week or a month without even thinking once about why. Yeah. You know, and what it is that we're working towards. Yeah. And, and you know, and I know the American dream has been um, kind of set on fire and walked away from <laughs> in many ways. But, um, yes. you know, we can still fall prey to this idea that you know, we're going to work for 40 years as unhappily as we need to so that our last 10 years on earth can be extremely blissful. And it's just like that, that the math doesn't check out there. Yeah, you know? I clearly don't live by those standards. <laughs> yeah. Travel yeah. the world? Yes, absolutely. Well, and the, the heartbreaking thing is that so many teachers right now, especially in the United States, but I'd say around the world, mm. are making healthy decisions. Yeah. And those healthy decisions involve leaving the profession right yeah. um and i i wouldn't say it's an elephant in the room everybody knows that it's there it's, yeah. it's the elephant in the room everyone's talking about but um but nobody but I, knows you know, how to address exactly yeah yeah well i, th I think teachers know how to address it but nobody's <laughs> listening to them right they're like hey you need these things and it's just gotten to the point yeah. where it's like if nobody's going to listen and nothing's going to change i have to make a decision for my own well-being yeah. but it's heartbreaking you know because Absolutely. every teacher knows you get in I, it I for the kids right yeah we're not in it because because we want and then i had um i'm quite active on linkedin and it's kind of the only place i'm active because yeah. um it tends not to have a lot of the polarization and 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 scary stuff that you find on yep and stuff like that maybe it'll get there but for now it's it's a safer place to be a person <laughs> and um and i i had a school board individual that was following me and started commenting on on the stuff that i was posting about teachers mm -hmm. um and at one point i was just like you know teachers need this and that i was talking about the things the support and things 
And um, this person came along and they commented on things in a negative way before, but they said, um, here we go again, gimme, gimme, gimme. And um, I immediately blocked them. I'm like, yeah, I'm done. Yeah. I can't, I can't do this. You know, it's like, no, that's not, you know, that's I your perception. I think it's a bigger conversation though, to, you know, I, apart from this person, but like school yeah. board members and the government, like I do think in general, right? I don't know about you, but I tell my students assume positive intentions. Yeah. And for assuming positive intention, they're trying. But is there the funding? Is there the, you know, there's so many other things that are at play here. Then like, I think ideally a lot of school boards or a lot of administrators would love to give teachers yeah. what they're asking for, but. Yeah, yeah, I don't mean to demonize all school board members or anything like that, but um, but it was simply in this one instance, yeah. I, I realized yeah. that that attitude, you know, is representative of a certain degree uh, or a certain number of people that yeah. really, they just don't, you know, and, and my my um, most successful posts and all of that on, on social have been when I've talked about how misunderstood teachers are, yeah. how teachers, you know, very few people understand what it is that we do. In fact, I've never talked to anyone that understands what we do that isn't a teacher. Yeah. And everyone assumes they can be a teacher. <laughs> they can do our job because they yeah. went to school. Right. right. Or they or they had poor teachers, you know, in the yeah. past who yeah. would just plop textbooks down in front of them. Yeah. And they thought, well, I could do that. And and they're yeah. like, well, yeah, anybody could be and a bad get the teacher. holidays off too, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> the next part of the of the podcast is, is where we get to more into the practical side of things yeah. and we talk about some tips and some tools and some strategies that you use. So um let's let's dig in there. And uh starting off with a tool. So right. it could be digital or physical. Um, but what's a tool that you basically would never teach without again? <laughs> I, for a long time, have written a morning letter to my students okay. every morning. So a little bit about our day, check in with their well-being. How's it going? Who do you want to be today is a question I loved asking them. Um, and a tool that I found somewhat recently, actually, that I loved is um, Classroom Screen um classroomscreen.com and it's something I can put on our projector and then there's so many different options of what you can add to your screen so mm -hmm. I have a little text box and I write my morning message on that and there's timers you can do noise level monitors there's pictures there's so many different things you can add to it so I use it probably a little different than it was intended but um <laughs> But I use it for my morning message. So I write up there, I type up every morning a, a morning message of just checking in with the kids for the day. That How do they respond to, to your message? Is that like a, a warm-up prompt that they write you a response to or? Um... Yeah, so it depends. Um, I, a lot of times I'll ask a reflection question for them to sit and reflect um, and write, write or draw a reflection of their thinking. Um, a lot of times it's related to more of the social emotional aspects of things. Um, so that question, who do you want to be today? Or who showed you kindness? And how do you want to share, spread kindness today? Or different things like that. But it's also, I have found students, especially students who are more task oriented, um, it helps them frame their day, right? So today we're going to be whatever, whatever. And that that gives them kind of a narrative of what they're going to do. And so then they know 
Okay, so um, because I also share a classroom with um, a language teacher, so I currently share with a Chinese or a French teacher. So I have things up in the classroom that are in English, but calendar, they kind of have their calendar. And so how much do I change? How much do I add? So this is one way that has helped me kind of help organize my day and help the students to organize their day. And then they have their reflection prompt that they will write in their notebook and or draw depending on their level of English. So, yeah. Uh, it sounds like a, a great system. How, how much time do you normally take at the beginning of your, a class period or a, a block to have yeah. them reflect on, on that? About five, five minutes, five to seven minutes. I normally have a five minute timer on there um, and we'll just start that and then are ready. So then when we're ready to start, they've already had a moment of calm and quiet to help them start their day so that if, you know, no matter where they're coming in from, because I'm sure most elementary teachers know this, coming in from recess is chaotic. Yeah, yeah. There's always a problem or two to deal with. So this gives them a task that I think helps set the tone for the lesson. Right. Um, and I'm able to then deal with students' issues or things that are happening within the first five minutes. Um, so, yeah. Well, I think that's great. It was classroomscreen.com, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, yes. And obviously spelled normally all one word. <laughs> yes. All yes. of that, right? Yeah. Uh, and is, is there any kind of paywall or is it a free service available to all teachers? Or There's a free service and then there is a paid okay. version. I Do you don't use the paid version. You don't use the paid version. Yeah. So you, all the benefits you get are from the free version. Yeah. Okay. That's good to know uh, for teachers. So check it out. The thing that the the paid version will do is like store your class list and then they can, they'll do like a random generator. So they'll like draw, if you want to, instead of drawing a name from a hat kind of a, mm -hmm. or a popsicle stick out of a cup, <laughs> um, it's a random generator. So that's, I think the only difference or the major difference. The major difference. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm definitely going to check that out. We'll put a link to that in the show notes so that other people can check it out. I use, um, I actually have two screens in my classroom at all time. I have a, have a kind of a large TV at the front of my classroom. And then I have a projector that actually projects onto a screen on the side of my classroom. And it was a, it was kind of a fluke. They just kind of had, had the projector still in there. Um, and then they brought in the TVs and they were going to take the projector out. But I started to use the projector to put my learning objectives and plan for the day. Yeah. Up. Yeah. And, and I could just leave it there the entire class because yeah. I, I was... And, and they always say you should do this, but I always found it impractical, you know, to write it out on the board every day, yes. um, especially when you've got many different classes and many different You're objectives. Going from different rooms to rooms. Uh, how are you supposed to do that, right? Like just yes. practically, how are you supposed to, like, I love it, but how? And then when I discover that I have, you know, if I have two screens, I can just use a slideshow and put it, you know, up there. And now everybody, every time they come in, they can just look at that and they know What's the plan for today? What are the objectives for today? You know, with, with caveats. I always yeah. tell them, guys, don't pay attention to the last 10, 20 minutes on that plan because <laughs> odds are we won't get to it, right? It's good. It's yeah. just, that's just in case. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, then I use the, the TV at the front um, for my, my um, you know, presentations or, or mm -hmm. videos or anything that we're going to use to supplement the instruction. And I've just loved that system. And now I feel like, well, now I'm stuck. Now I've got to have two <laughs> never going every, back. I'm never going back. I'm always going to have two screens every time I teach. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to insist. Yeah. Could I use this tool to display my plan and lesson objectives easily? Do you think yeah. it would be a better way to would it do that? Maybe. Because right now I just uh, use Google Slides. Yeah, I, uh, 
I have tried Google Slides and I like this better, but okay. um, because it adds, there's so many different widgets that you can add to it okay. um, and yeah. use, you can use it for like a Google Slide if you want, but it's also, yeah. there's lots of other things you can make it yeah. really user friendly. Well, definitely check it out, um, you know, as I head into the next semester and think about how to change things up. Um, yeah. Because even sometimes when you have something that works, you want to change it up just to keep it fresh for both yourself and yeah. for the students. And you don't know if something's going to work a little bit better if you don't yeah. give it a try. Right? Yeah. yeah. So uh, thank you for that, classroomscreen.com. And now moving into the, um, into the tips. Um, what yeah. is a tip? Just a generalized tip, like it could be anything. Literally, I just I leave this one like the most open-ended, right? Um, for yeah. you know something that you do or have done, or you know, and it could be with colleagues, it could be at home, it could be, but something that that you would recommend for every teacher to help mm. them be the best teacher that they could be. Um, I would say work-life balance. Make mm. sure you have a good work-life balance. Um, it was interesting when I moved to Frankfurt. Frankfurt's um, German teachers are very protective of their personal time. And um, when they're at work, they work really hard. They're good workers. But then the minute that they leave, they don't take anything home. Right. And I found that challenging. But I think that that, more than anything, was my biggest takeaway from Germany of just making sure to have good work-life balance where I worked hard during the day and I very rarely worked on the weekends, you know? Um, and I would go, I would maybe go in a little bit earlier, maybe stay a little bit late, but yeah. in general, I'd try and stick to my hours and really work hard. Um, now, I know that I haven't worked in public schools in America and, or other places, so I don't know how flexible people's hours are, but I would say be very like guard that time. Um, your personal life is important. You are not a martyr for this profession and you shouldn't be. And as much as we love our kids, it, we need to be healthy and happy ourselves. Right. So. <laughs> well, it's, um, it's a unique job in the sense that the work never ends. Like there's, there's, there's always. Yes always a hundred million things that you could do to yeah. improve or to you know you could spend um an extra minute per child on feedback and yeah. that's going to add up to an extra three hours per week you know yeah. um yeah. and and now you take that and you apply it to three other tasks that you put on your plate yeah. and next thing you know you're working an 85 hour week and it's not because Absolutely. you don't desire obviously everybody desires yeah. to have a work-life yeah. balance but it's because you want to give your best to to the kids. You care about them so much. And then you combine that with the situations that teachers are often in where they're not given the support or the materials or the adequate resources to do their job well. And yeah. we feel the need to fill that gap ourselves, right? Yeah. Because we know, and this is the really sad thing about, I think, the U.S.'s situation right now, at mm -hmm. least. We know that if we don't, nobody's coming to the rescue, yeah. right? Nobody else yeah. is going gonna, is gonna to do yeah. it. And ultimately, the ones that suffer are the children that we care yeah, about so much. Absolutely. And so it's this rock in a hard place. Now teachers are carrying that burden and I don't yeah. think it's our burden to carry. Right. We need to give it back to parents and society and we need to start letting people have the responsibility just because we can do it doesn't mean we should. Right. And we need to prioritize our time and we need to prioritize our personal lives as much as our work lives. I, I'm 
yeah. Oh yeah, no, I, I'm in full agreement. I just, yes. um, I think, you know. It's just, not an easy. Yeah, letting teachers know that, that you know, while saying this, we also, as teachers, both completely understand why, yeah. why it yeah. gets out of whack. And, and this is why teachers are leaving because they don't feel like it's possible. Yeah, you know, absolutely. To, to, to be both. And, and so now that you've worked in a number of different contexts, what is one boundary? You mentioned kind of into the work day, but like, mm -hmm. how do you put that into action? How do you make sure that at the end of your work day, you walk away mm -hmm. and are able to actually take a step back? Yeah, after 14 years and you know of teaching, I can do it a little bit easier than if it was within my first five years of teaching. I think I worked crazy hours. Um, yeah, nobody keeps track. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm saying this too as a seasoned teacher more yeah. so. I learned I just need to be ready for tomorrow. Like I have a unit plan outlined basically. And as long as I'm ready for tomorrow and the students are ready for tomorrow, then I, everything else can wait. Mm -hmm. um, and it's hard. <laughs> yeah. um, and the other thing that I think um, I've really learned, the more that I've gotten into like IB PYP, which is the primary years program, mm -hmm. the International Baccalaureate, students are capable of the responsibility of their own learning. So I don't need to know as much as I think I need to know to help a child to succeed. To, to do well academically, to meet the, the rigorous standards, um, that giving them the ownership and putting that ownership and responsibility back on them, even my first graders or my third graders, you know, letting them figure out their own learning is key, I think, too. Yeah. But I think it's, it was a huge, I feel like for me, I didn't do that until like year seven or eight of teaching. Mm -hmm. um, where I felt like I need to know the answers before I give some, it to the students. So I'd spend time researching things. And then I was like, wait, <laughs> they still know more than I do. Like they come up with things that I like. like. So I had to kind of come back from that. You know, we hear that platitude kind of a thing, like we're guides on the side, not mm -hmm. sages on the stage. But I don't think that I took it to heart or really understood what that meant or how to do that well until seven or eight years into teaching yeah and that helps keep my work-life balance in order too when i talked with um this reminds me of my conversation with peter hostrauser uh who was one of the earlier episodes as well and and he talked about when i i said what's i think it was his tip was uh learning alongside so it wasn't even guiding alongside but learning alongside yeah. your students yeah. and and being okay with the fact that you know, you, you are going to learn as well. Yeah. Um, and, um, and, and even being excited about that, because that gives you an opportunity to model how to respond when somebody knows more than, yeah. than you about something yeah. and, um, yeah. and to help the student feel like they are the knowledgeable one in at least one yeah. case, right? Yeah. Um, it's so healthy for them uh, yeah. and for us, right? Yeah. I, I, I love the tip. Uh, sorry. I, I love no, the tip of, of just being ready for tomorrow. Mm -hmm. I have an extremely hard time with that myself. Um, I would love being planned ahead. Like my goal yeah. is always two weeks. I've got to be two weeks ahead, you know, and it, and it always happens at the beginning of the semester. And yes. then slowly, you know, <laughs> it, it, it creeps up on you. And yeah. then the next thing you know, um, you aren't even ready for tomorrow. And so I love that, that idea. I 
I'm going to try to put that into practice, I think, a little bit better because I will have days where, I, where I'm like, okay, I get into the day, well, at least, at least I'm ready for tomorrow, <laughs> right? Yes. But it would be, that's a, a very different attitude than, okay, I'm ready for tomorrow. And so yeah. everything's fine. You know, I don't yeah. feel bad about that because yeah. tomorrow's coming at its own pace. Yeah. Um, I think I worry then, well, how do I know that by the end of tomorrow, I'll be ready for the next day, you know, that's <laughs> where the anxiety will start to, to yes. but having that goal and being okay with it, yeah. I think is, is uh, something I'm going to need to to think more about, but I wanted to talk I about it. <laughs> it takes me time to, it's taking me time to learn that. Yeah. Um, man, so much I wish I could ask you even about that, but I want to be respectful of, of your time and also that of our, our listeners. We'll just have to have you on again um, and, and dig in um, or read your book when it comes out. You got a book coming out? Yeah. No. <laughs> Not yet. Okay. Well, I feel like every teacher I talk to, I'm like, just could you just put everything down in a book and then right. we'll read it. Yeah. yeah. You could self-publish these days. So the next and last part, would be a strategy that you employ. So that I'm talking about an instructional strategy yeah. that you yeah. employ in your classroom um, that just like everything else I've said, I want it to be kind of one of the best ones that you have. So I imagine a strategy that uh, would be categorized as the best is one that you just know is so reliable as far as creating student engagement and learning outcomes um, that if you like had only one strategy to employ to teach a learning objective, um, this is the one you would use. And um, it can be domain specific, doesn't matter, but just something that you just really love to do with, with your students. I would say when I was thinking about this question, really, I truly believe in stations or centers or however you want to do that. Mm -hmm. I loosely base my classroom in every area around like the daily five kind of centers. Yeah. Um, I don't like I don't take the daily five and do the daily five. I do, I use that as a model and as a framework. Um, so I use it for literacy um, in my literacy time and I use it in math time. I'll use it in our PYP is unit-based focus. So in units and exploring those and just that routine of you're gonna be working on this and then we're going to change and move to this and practice different skills. Um, I have found it to be something so beneficial for my students. Um, and it lets them practice different skills, multiple skills each day, right? So we all know, you know, it's important to set that routine of reading. It's important to write each day. It's important to do this or that each day. But this has allowed me to set that routine and then the students know it. So we practice it at the beginning of the year. It's six weeks to set up, but once it's set and then we, I can say, okay, go to your stations. They have, I have the chart. They know where to go. They go to the stations. They know the routine. And then I can change whatever the kind of the task is within the station easily. And it's still a set routine. So I don't know as though it's a teaching strategy, but it is something that keeps students engaged. And we know with younger students, right, attention spans, and I would say post-COVID attention mm -hmm. spans. <laughs> um, so you can you work towards a certain number of minutes within that um, station and then use it. I, I did it, I, I do it every day. Um, and I love the freedom it gives the teacher 
as well. So like I'm able to step into a station and work with that small group if I'm on a targeted support or I can pull student from a station and do one-on-one -on -one reading assessments or writing conferences or multitude of things. Um, I have two students now who are in third grade but have never learned English. Um, so they need intensive phonics and so to get up to reading standards. And so I'll do phonics work with them every day. Um, and I think it's just a really practical tool um, yeah. that for strategy, maybe it's a tool more than a strategy, but um, that I have loved setting up specifically for, um, mostly for my literacy, but I use it for math as well. And in reading, it depends on in our unit time, what we're doing and what our focus is, but. So help me understand practically how your stations work, uh, just so I can yeah. kind of visually imagine your classroom and, and how this kind of plays out. So yeah. do you have, um, how many students do you have, first of all, in your room? Yeah, so currently I have 19 students. So I have two different classes, 19 okay. students in one and 14 students in the other. Right. So smaller groups, yep. I know, but our classrooms are tiny. Okay. <laughs> um, they're pretty small. Um, and so it's, we use the tables that we're sitting at. So we have four, four or five groups. Um, mm -hmm. So with my classroom of 14, I have five, four groups. With my 19, I have five groups. And um, they, so they, like, there's a box that you put there, or like one group is in like the little classroom library. Um, so if it's a, like a read to self time where they're sitting there reading by themselves, just at their level or um, doing different things with writing or grammar or vocabulary development, word studies. Um, yeah, so I would have different boxes on each table for the students to be able to do um, whatever the activity is for that station. Okay, and then do you have students um, sometimes doing differentiated activities where there's some students that are doing more advanced things and there's some students that are doing less advanced things depending on their level? Um, yeah. And is that something you plan ahead of time and then just put in the box? Or do you normally have um, an option like where, okay, here's a harder and here's an easier activity and then you let them choose? Like, how does that yeah. work? Um, yes, <laughs> to all of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I tend to, if it's reading, um, if I'm using this for reading routines, um, they are grouped by their, like my school currently uses the F&P levels. So Fontes and Penel leveling system. So they're grouped in general by those levels um so they're already differentiated based on that and then the activities within the boxes can be differentiated so i just do it by number <laughs> people can do it by i've seen like um i'm not the cutesy teacher but i'm like different animals or whatever but, yeah, right, right. Um, <laughs> and and so then each group gets to choose their activity or gets the activity that i've chosen for them or i've done the chili challenge in the past where it's like different level degrees of spiciness um so different challenges um and i might suggest that they do a certain challenge level um depending on the group that they're in but if they feel like they can take on that challenge then they can yeah. choose themselves as well so. okay well that that sounds very actionable and practical um i know a lot of teachers the idea of using stations after having taught uh in rows and columns for so long can be intimidating yes. um what would you say would be a great first step in that direction for a teacher that maybe wants to explore it but isn't ready to dive in mm. 
I would say just try doing like a like 10 or 15 minute activity where the kids see how independent they can do it, right? So practice those things. I always start with like independent reading <clears throat> when I'm starting to set up my, my rotations, um, my stations. And, and we practice what I call reading stamina. And mm -hmm. so we set our goal, um, you know, like the beginning of the year, it's their age plus two, right? So from my eight-year-old, so it's about 10 minutes that where our goal is. And then after we meet that goal, I push it up to let's try for 15 or 12 increments right. of two normally or so. Um, so I'm, you know, it's with my goal being about 10, 15 to 20 minutes within a station. Um, and I would say post-COVID, I'm finding 15 is really where I can get them, keep them at. I don't know if that's post-COVID or just post-technology. Yeah, so just try something, um, whether it's independent reading for 10 minutes um, or if it's doing some sort of station work for 10 minutes and letting them be independent within that, see how that goes. Okay, yeah. yeah, that's a great, I, I use independent reading a lot in my classrooms. Obviously I'm teaching secondary. Uh, for those who have only taught elementary and not taught secondary, oftentimes you might think that the attention spans are much higher. Um, I think uh, maybe that was true at one point. I no longer believe it. Um, I've taught both. I've taught elementary and secondary now, and I'm, I'm astounded at the similarities between attention spans. Um, in fact, yeah. sometimes I find that the younger students have longer attention spans because they're more fascinated by what's in front of them. It's yeah. still novel. Um, and school has has yet to lose its 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 <laughs> edge for a lot of them, and so, yeah. um, you know, sometimes the older students actually have shorter attention spans. And, and we focus on it in elementary, right? It's not necessarily a focus in secondary. So, yeah. yeah. Well, Jen, I don't want to take any more of your time today on the show. Uh, you've given us so much to think about, and and our listeners so many cool strategies and tools that yeah. they can use. Um, you've got such an amazing background as an educator. And I know that it will only get more and more interesting as time goes on. Um, so maybe I'll have you have you back on in a couple of years to tell us about all of the new things that you've, that you've done. Yeah. Um, and and of course, yeah, your book's coming out on. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I will say uh, here to, now before we close that um, I always want to give our listeners an opportunity to reach out to uh, who we've been interviewing today because I don't want them reaching out to me. I, I don't know the answers to their questions, but you you would right so. Um, is there a place where you can be found online um, where people can ask you questions about how to do this? Uh, where is that? And do you yeah. have any projects of your own that you'd like people to, to check out? Yeah, um, you can find me on LinkedIn, um, okay. Jen Van Bell. I think Jen Van Bell on LinkedIn. Um, and I don't yet. I think I'm, we'll see. We'll see what comes in the future. Okay, sure. And that's the best place to find you is, is LinkedIn. Yes. Um, if us if someone doesn't have a LinkedIn account because some people don't, is there another way uh, that we can reach out? Can we get your email address yeah. um, and put it in the show notes? Would that be all right? Yeah, yeah okay. sure. So we'll have those two things. If anybody wants to reach out to Jen, I highly recommend it. Um, thank you so much for for coming on today, Jen, and we'll talk again soon. 
You'll find links to all the resources mentioned in the show notes today, including contact info for our guest. If you or someone that you know is a teacher and would like to be a guest on our show, or if you have any comments or suggestions for us, you can send us a message at bestteacherpod at gmail.com. If you like today's show, make sure to subscribe and leave us a rating wherever you are listening to this and recommend the show to any other teachers in your life. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time for another episode of the Best Teacher Podcast.